Father, I thank you so much for your word. I pray, Father God, that you bless us by opening our hearts, touching our hearts, Father God, so that we may understand you in a greater way. I pray, Father God, that none of us will leave this place unchanged in Jesus' mighty name. And all those who love the Lord said, Amen. Well, we're in a series, in a prayer series. This is the fifth part today. And uh, specifically planned to have a prayer series in the beginning of the year because this is probably next to studying the Word and serving God practically your most important thing that you can learn to do, and that is to pray. Prayer is God's means by which He was going to accomplish many things in your life. Prayer is the means through which God was going to accomplish many things into this world. He was going to accomplish it through your prayers. That is God's choice. That is God's way of doing things. So if somebody says, God, I need you to do something in my life. God's already done what he's going to do. He's already paid the price in full. He's already given us his perfect law. He's already called us. He's already touched our hearts. That's why you have an interest in him. Many people have zero interest in God. But you, on the other hand, you're eager to know God better. You are urgent to be right with God. And that desire that you have comes from Him. If ever you have repented because of your sin, you have got to understand that this was, in fact, God's doing. You go like, no, 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 I was the one who repented. Well, no, why are you repenting and the guy down the street isn't? Because God touched your heart. And throughout scriptures, we see that repentance is, in fact, a gift from God. You know that in the Bible, we see a man seeking repentance urgently, but not finding the place of repentance. Because unless God actually gives you the gift of repentance, you wouldn't want to repent. And you couldn't repent. So we have to understand that God is working in our lives. And he has paid the price at Calvary. He gave us his perfect law. And his purpose is to do great things in you. But he has chosen to do that through the means called prayer. Many people see prayer as something that they do in order to get something. Well, I've been showing you over the last four weeks, prayer is in fact something you do in order for God to take something out of you. If you're a person of prayer, you know sometimes you are burdened, you're anxious. You know something is wrong. You go to your prayer closet, you pray and you pray and you pray, and you leave there so confident and so free. Prayer actually removes things from you. For you, uh, if you pray, if you're a person of prayer, you will find that when you pray, things like covetousness leaves your heart. Things like jealousy is gone. Temptation is far from you. So things leave you when you pray. And this is kind of like the mindset I'd like for us to have when we pray. If somebody says to you, man, life is just so hard, man, life is just so complicated, man, life is just so burdensome. Well, what's the problem? Well, they have a lot of things. They have a spaghetti bowl of confusion going on, and that needs to be untangled. It can only be untangled when you go on your knees 
and you come to God with, you're crazy. You say, God, this is to leave my life. I don't know how this darkness is going to be. Prayer. It's God's means through which he's going to do something in you. And it's God's means through which he's going to do something in the world through you. God has never done anything great through a prayerless individual. Say that again. God has never done anything great in this world through a prayerless individual. So we have to come back to prayer. And this is a call in the beginning of 2024. Let this be a year of prayer for you. So far, we have discussed and practiced a few kinds of prayers. We see the Bible talks about diverse prayers, different kinds of prayers, and we have to understand what these different kinds of prayers are so that we get the benefit of all of them. And I feel like it would serve us well if, in fact, we don't just learn about prayer, we don't just talk about prayer, we don't just think through all the benefits of it, we don't do all the theoretical portions of prayer, but that we actually pray. This is a call to every person in our church. This is a year of prayer for you. Start praying. This isn't just so that you can go like, well, I mentally ascend to all of those truths and they sound wonderful. No, this is for you to actually do it. Amen? So I feel like it would serve us well if I remind us of all these different kinds of prayers we have already talked about and then make it as practical as possible for you so that when you walk out of these doors, you actually have in your toolbox, your spiritual toolbox, some items that you can use in a great way this week. Some of you have already started practicing some of these kinds of prayers and uh, your prayer life has been revolutionized and then there are others who still need to catch up on that. So I really want to encourage you. So let's take a few moments and walk through some of the examples of these prayers. The first one we dealt with was the prayer of repentance, if you remember. The prayer of repentance. This is really the prayer you pray when you come to God. The prayer of repentance. We learned that there's a difference between the prayer of attrition and the prayer of contrition. Judas prayed, or Judas had attrition. He felt sorrow for all the pain and the shame that he had brought upon himself for denying Jesus, and that's why he committed suicide. He mourned his own loss. And he realized that he's lost so much he couldn't return. He couldn't turn this around, so he just took his own life. That's when somebody has attrition. David, on the other hand, he had contrition. While Judas felt sorrow for what he had done to himself, David, on the other hand, he felt sorrow for what he had done against God. He felt sorrow for violating God's standards, for violating God's character and misrepresenting the God whose image he, bear, he, he bears. So Judas, we can see, had a false repentance while David had a true repentance. And if you ever were sorrowful for violating God's laws, if you ever had that sorrow for violating God's holiness, that is true repentance. But if you cried because your girlfriend left you, you've lost something. You cried because you made bad decisions and you lost a business deal. You cried over certain things in your life for what you have lost. That is not true repentance. Because David had it right. 
David said, God, against you and you alone did I sin. He knew his sin was against God. The prayer of repentance is similar to the prayer of, of the tax collector. And you might not understand just how important and how valuable this understanding is because this is how you make right with God. This is how you come to God. This is how you remove all of those things between you and the Father that eliminates intimacy. Somebody said to me, Jacques, don't teach us how to repent. We've already repented. I am now in Christ. I am forgiven. And I am saved for all eternity. I don't have to keep repenting and repenting and repenting. Well, that's what that makes for a real bad marriage, doesn't it? If I say, well, you know what? When we got married, told you I'm sorry for my past, but from here on out, I'm not saying sorry ever again for nothing. You see, this is how it works. If your child and you are going through a difficult time, let's say, for instance, they violated their freedoms and they did what they shouldn't have done and they didn't stick to their commitments and they didn't take out the trash and they lied about something. Is he still your child? Well, yeah, of course. But is there now something between us? Well, you better bet. <laughs> you betcha, right? How is that removed? Through admission and repentance. If it's something between a husband and a wife, how do you remain? How do you keep the intimacy? Through repentance and forgiveness. Sorry, honey, I didn't mean to say that. Please forgive me. And then she'll go, think about it. <laughs> For those wives, I want to remind you, you can be thankful that Jesus didn't do that to you. Like, oh, forgive me. I'll think about it. <laughs> No, you forgive others not because they're perfect and they deserve to be forgiven. No, you forgive others because you were forgiven for greater than what you have to forgive them for. We live from the place of the gospel. And so the prayer of repentance is probably more important than we realize it is. We ought to pray something like this. And, and, and this prayer of repentance that I want to just give you an example of is based on multiple examples in Scripture of people who repented. For instance, the tax collector. We have the Pharisee and the tax collector both go to the temple, both pray, and Jesus was comparing their prayers. And the, and the Pharisee prayed, God, thank you that I'm not like everybody else. I'm better than them. And on top of that, guess what I've done, Jesus? I've paid my tithe. I pray all the time. So not only am I better than them, I do a lot more than everybody else. And Jesus said, that man will not go home forgiven. He will go home unforgiven. Because next to him was this tax collector, this guy that everybody knows to be a crook. He worked for the government of Illinois. <laughs> and this guy, <laughs> this guy falls on his knees he wouldn't even look up because he knew he was so guilty, right? He starts beating his chest and he says, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That man was repenting. 
And Jesus said, that man is going to go home forgiven. That man is going to go home forgiven. Why? Because he knew what it meant to repent. So here's an example of how we pray the prayer of repentance. We go on our knees in our closet. We pray, Lord, I have sinned. Admission. Most people think they don't need to repent. Why not? Because they don't realize that they're guilty. Lord, I have sinned. Admission. Secondly, Lord, I have sinned against you. I have violated your character. I have violated your holiness. I made a new image and likeness, and I look nothing like you because I sin. Lord, I recognize now, number three, that my sin deserves to be punished. Every single one of them deserves to be punished. People say sins are, there's a degree of sin, right? There are all these venial sins and then there's these unforgivable sins and everything depends on how much you give. But, uh, you know, certain sins can be easily forgiven. Others are difficult to be forgiven and so forth. Let me tell you how sin works. If you break the law at any point, you've broken the law completely. That's how it works. So some people are going to go to hell because they are murderers and rapists. Other people are going to go to hell because they think they're better than the murderer and the rapist. Why? Because every sin damns us eternally. It's like if you have a big, win a big window here. A windshield, let me say. And you shoot through that windshield, number one, a cannonball, or number two, with a gun. You know, those are two different sized bullets, but they both break the window completely, don't they? Yeah. It shatters into millions of pieces. That is what sin is like. Sin breaks the law, no matter how small it is. So we have to first admit that we've sinned. We have to admit that we sinned against God. We have to recognize that that sin deserves punishment. Romans 6.23, we say, Lord, we know that the wages of my sin is death. And then we pray, I realize that you would be just and righteous to give me the full punishment for my sin if you desire to do that. And Lord, if you did do that, you would not be doing the wrong thing. You would not be unjust toward me. You would not be unfair toward me to give me the full punishment of my sin, which is death. God, you don't owe me anything. God, you do not owe me mercy. You do not owe me grace. You do not owe me forgiveness. God, you do not owe me atonement. You do not owe me eternal life. You owe me nothing, God. If you give me justice, it would be fair and you wouldn't be wrong. That is why, Lord, in this prayer of my repentance, I join this tax collector and I beg you for mercy. Like the criminal begs the judge for mercy, not justice. So I beg you, God, for mercy, not justice. Lord, in my prayer of repentance, I join King David and I pray with him in Psalm 51, have mercy upon me, O God. I beat my chest like that tax collector and I pray like David, have mercy upon me, O God. 
according to not your justice, but according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, God blot out my transgressions, I beg you. That is the prayer of repentance. Then, after the prayer of repentance, we learnt about the prayer of adoration and thanksgiving. Adoration and thanksgiving. We learned that the prayer of adoration is declaring all that is true about God Himself. We, uh, that we declare all about His character and what we know about His attributes. That's why it's so important to actually study the attributes of God. Without knowing them, you wouldn't really know God. And without knowing God, you can't really pray the prayer of adoration. And so if you have a high view of theology, if you have a high view of God, you will have high prayers. If you have a low view of God, in other words, if you are biblically illiterate, you couldn't have high prayers or high worship or high adoration. So here with the prayer of adoration, we learned to actually pray the attributes of God by declaring these truths about Him. It would be something in the line of this. Lord, you are omnipresent, which means you are everywhere. From the top of heaven to the bottom of hell, you are everywhere. There's no way where you are not present. Therefore, God, you are always with me. I am never alone. No one and nothing can hide themselves from you. There is no place where you are not God. You are God in the casino. You are God in the church. You are God in the homes of every single person in this nation. You are God in the streets. There is no place where you are not God. You are God in each and every situation I may ever face. Lord, you are omniscient. You know everything. Nothing escapes your knowledge. You cannot be informed. Nobody can teach you anything. Nobody can correct you, God. Nobody can add a, a slither of wisdom to you. No one can educate you or surprise you because you already know everything. There's nothing I can hide from you, God. God, you are righteous. You never make a mistake. God, you never act unjustly. God, you always do what is right. You are righteous. God, you are immutable. This means that you never mutate. You are always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. You are not random. Neither do you act unpredictably. No, you are always the same, always steadfast, always trustworthy, always faithful, always dependable. God, you are sovereign. You are the Almighty in authority. You are the Almighty. You have all authority, and you have all rule over the entire universe. Nothing acts contrary to or outside of your control. You are God. Lord, there is no such thing as a maverick molecule in all of the universe. Every molecule is submitted to you. You, God, uphold all things by your power. You maintain the fine-tuning of the universe and you, you also maintain the details of my life. You are sovereign, the very thing that makes you God. Lord, you are holy. The angels in heaven cry, holy, holy, holy. 
You are holy, meaning you have been set apart. You meaning you are different from your creation. Like we think that you are like us. We are wrong. You are God. You are completely separate from your creation. Not only, uh, not only are you totally different, other and set apart from your creation, you are also morally perfect God. There is no shadow. There is no darkness in you. Lord, you are omniscient. Lord, you are omnipotent. Lord, you are omnipresent. You are righteous. You are immutable. Lord, you are sovereign and you are holy. And the more I recognize who you are, the more I realize my place before you. Doesn't it just humble you when you start realizing who the Lord is? Every prayer will do something inside of you. Every prayer is God working in you. So that was the prayer of adoration. While the prayer of adoration focuses on who God is, by the way, I just listed one, two, three, four, five, six attributes, and I just prayed six of God's attributes. Uh, there are 24 plus attributes of God. And we go through most of them first year Bible school. But if you understand the attributes and what the implication of that is, uh, you have a greater understanding of who God is and how to relate to him. But also it just really helps you pray. So while the prayer of adoration focuses on who God is, uh, the prayer of thanksgiving declares all that he has done for you. And you can literally go to Psalms, and that's what I've encouraged you to do is get yourself two color markers, go to Psalms, underline or highlight all of the prayers that David prayed that adores God. And then take the other color marker, uh, other color of highlighter and mark all of the times David thanked God. And then instead of just singing Psalms, you can actually learn to pray Psalms. And the prayer of thanksgiving is you thanking God for all that he has done for you. Lord, I thank you that even though I know you don't owe me any mercy, you gave me mercy. Lord, I don't, you don't owe me grace, but you gave me grace. You don't owe me any salvation, but you sent Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for giving up the privileges of heaven coming to earth in order to make a way for me. Thank you for the blood. Thank you, God, Jehovah Jireh. You are the one who provided for me a lamb. You provided for me a lamb so that I may be forgiven and my sins may have been atoned for. Honestly, this prayer of thanksgiving alone can take you over an hour. Have you noticed... If you pray all the, if you pray an hour of thanksgiving, you can literally pray an hour of, of, um, of adoration. Thank you. <laughs> and before that, the prayer of repentance, not one time have we yet asked God for anything material. Yet, when people pray, <laughs> When people pray, it's almost like the only thing they do. It's like, God, I need, no, I need new shoes. 
God, I need an increase. God, bless me, I'm not feeling good. Heal me, Jesus. It's like we always just focus on what we can get during our time of prayer. But you can literally pray for over an hour or two hours, not asking him for anything material. We have to learn to pray this way. Otherwise, we are giving up so much of what God is doing in our lives. Then we learned the prayer of consecration. The prayer of consecration is where we put ourselves on God's altar. And we say, God, I give myself to you. Somebody said, Sunday mornings in the United States of America is the, is the, is the time most lying takes place. You think more people lie? <laughs> In Washington, D.C., no, people lie in church for the most part because this is where we stand and we sing, I surrender all, I surrender all. But we haven't forgiven anybody. We still got grudges against this lady and that guy still annoys me. And, and you know, <laughs> you know, somebody wanted me to serve and I'm like, forget that. You know, and I, what do people really surrender you know, during that song, it's a nice song to sing. And so what people do is they, they make major commitments during songs that they will not make if there was no music put to it. Right and so this is the prayer of consecration. This is where we actually give ourselves to God. And this prayer needs to be prayed regularly. I encourage you to pray it at least in the mornings every day. Why do you pray the prayer of consecration regularly? Because you are a living sacrifice and everything that's alive can crawl off an altar. You put yourself on the altar and then three hours later you crawl off and you scream at the guy that just cut you off. The offering comes by, you go like, no, no, not me. I'm not doing that. You're, so you put yourself on the altar and you take yourself off. You put yourself on the altar, you take yourself off. But this is a way to put yourself on the altar and do it regularly. The prayer of consecration would go something like this. Lord, I dedicate myself to you, not just in part, but in whole. I dedicate my mind. I dedicate my eyes. I dedicate my mouth. I dedicate my heart. I dedicate my hands and feet, my body. I dedicate my gifts, all my strengths. I love you with my strength. Lord, I dedicate my mind that I would not sin with the thoughts that I harbor and embrace, practice and rehearse, but that my mind would be renewed according to your word. Lord, I dedicate my eyes just like Job did when he said that he made a covenant with his eyes that he would not look lustfully, that he would not look with envy, that he would not look with covetous eyes. Lord, I dedicate my mouth that I wouldn't speak wickedness, that I won't lie, that I will not defile your name. No, that I will give an account for every single word that proceeds from my mouth. Lord, I dedicate my heart to you. Lord, I, pr I pray that my heart be guarded, that it wouldn't become bitter, that it wouldn't become uh, uh, wicked, that I won't desire wickedness, but that I will desire your will. God, regulate my passions, regulate my wants and my desires. Help me, God, because you promised in Philippians 2.13 that you work within me both to will 
and to do your good pleasure. Help me will what I should. Lord, I dedicate my body, my hands, and my feet. According to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I give my body as a living sacrifice, meaning, Lord God, I treat my body like it's yours. You purchased me, God. I am yours. Lord, I dedicate my service to you, my giftings to you. Here I am, Lord, like the prophet said, send me, use me, God. Make me an instrument in your hands. I choose to love you with my gifts, with my strengths, with my abilities. Amen. That was the prayer of consecration. So just to have memory pegs, remind yourself, it's first the mind, then it's the eyes, then it's the mouth, then it's the heart, then it's the hands and feet, and then it's your giftings and your abilities. Here's one that I didn't add in there that's probably very important to add in there. Lord, if I, if I consecrate my life, I'm consecrating my time. Do you know, uh, I remember when Columbine took place, when somebody walked into a school and shot a couple of students, I was still living in South Africa at the time. I was up three o'clock in the morning and I went for a walk. And I went to a gas station, a 24 hours gas station. Um, that's where we would hang out because that's kind of like the only place that you can hang out. <laughs> it's like the gas station <laughs> and the airport. And so we would have fellow, we have had socials at the airport. But I remember walking into the gas station and I saw the heading said, man takes women's, man takes young girl's life. And I read the story of Columbine. And I said, Lord, what did he take when he pulled that trigger? Well, he erased many years out of her future. He took from her time. So when I read that, I totally understood what it mean, what it means to give God your life. You can't give God your life and withhold from him your time. Because life is made up out of time. And in order to give him your life, you have to give him the times of your life. So when I consecrate my life to the Lord, I don't just consecrate my thoughts and I don't consecrate only what I look at and make covenant with my eyes or discipline my tongue or pray God, give me a willing heart or say, all right, I will serve a little bit because I'm too busy. Point is, if you are going to consecrate to God your life, you it's assumed that you are going to give him your time also. So that is the prayer of repentance, the prayer of adoration, the prayer of thanksgiving, and then the prayer of consecration. And in short today, I want to just introduce to you the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. We find the Lord's Prayer in both Matthew and Luke. However, here in Luke, we find a very few interesting things. It says in Luke 11, verse 1, Now, it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased, talking about Jesus, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And when the disciples saw Jesus praying, it caused them to want to pray in the same way Jesus was praying. 
That question, of course, is then, therefore, if somebody saw me praying, would they want me to teach them how to pray like I do? That's the question. If somebody sees you praying, do they go like, man, I need to pray like that? Is your prayer life contagious? Jesus's was. Something to note here also is that they did not ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. Look at that statement. They didn't say, teach us how to pray. They said, teach us to do it. Teach us to pray. In other words, they were not, they were ready to go beyond just knowing how to, to actually doing it. And this is where I feel the breakdown is. The obvious elephant in the room is that for years people talk about, here are the benefits to prayer. And here are the steps to it. And here are the reasons why you should. And hopefully you do. And we talk about prayer. We teach on prayer. We teach each other that, uh, we tell each other that we are praying for them. We study prayer, but we never actually do it. This is the, this is the breakdown. The disciples didn't want to know another five reasons why prayer is important. They wanted to actually pray. That's why they didn't say, teach us how to pray. They said, teach us to pray. In Matthew 6, 9 verse 13, it says, In this manner, therefore pray. In this manner, therefore pray. He did not teach them to repeat a prayer after them. He did not say, uh, say these words. He did not teach them to recite a prayer. But he said, in this manner, pray. In other words, in this way, pray. Pray along these lines. Go through these categories when you pray. Use this template when you pray. That's what he was saying. So here is the template he gave us. Everybody knows that our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, in Luke, that last line is omitted. omitted. Now, we first have to note that there are two categories or two groups, request, uh, two groups of requests in this divine prayer that God gave us. The first half is the prayer asking for God's glory. That's the first half of your prayer. The second half of the prayer is asking God for our own good. The point here is simply that there's a priority in your prayer life and the priority in your prayer life ought to be, God, your glory be revealed. God, your kingdom come. Your name be hallowed. Your will be established. All about God. That's the first half of the Lord's Prayer. The second half of the Lord's Prayer is give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. So the fact is, it is much more important that you pray God's name be made holy. It's more important that you pray about the kingdom of God. It's more important that you pray about His will being established than you pray about your needs. And yet we've turned that thing around. We've put the cart before the horse, haven't we? So let's systematically walk through the Lord's Prayer. And of course, today we'll only touch on the front, on the front end. And let's attempt to put feet to the thoughts as to what this prayer is all about. What did Jesus call us to do when he gave us the Lord's Prayer? Of course, it wasn't the Lord's Prayer. He didn't pray this prayer. He gave it to us to pray. 
because, for instance, Jesus would never pray, forgive me my sins, <laughs> like I've forgiven other people this. <laughs> he doesn't have sins, right? So he gave us this prayer to pray, and we have to put feet to those thoughts. What does it mean to pray the Lord's Prayer? He said, pray this way, in this manner, our Father in heaven. Can you see it's plural? God wants us to pray as a body. Our Father in heaven, you see, He immediately establishes your relationship to God. You're coming to your Father. You're not coming to a judge. You're coming to your Father. Our Father in heaven. Heaven gives you the context of what He's talking about here. Pray about what that is like there because then He's going to say, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's giving us a context. Our Father in heaven. Then he says, hallowed be your name. Here we realize God is already holy. God cannot become more holy through our prayers. But we are praying that his name be made holy in the earth as it is in heaven. That's our context. We are praying that God's name be revered on the earth as it is revered in heaven. We are praying that God's name be honored on the earth as it is honored in heaven. Since the prayer is referring to our Father in heaven, therefore now we are praying that we start relating here on earth to Him as the angels in heaven relate to Him today. So we have an example of what that looks like, by the way. How do the angelic bodies relate to God in heaven. Well, the prophet Isaiah saw the angels in heaven covering their faces before God's throne, and the angels then fall down, and they start worshiping him by crying what? Holy, holy, holy. The, the, the primary attribute of God. They didn't shout love, love, love. Here on earth, we go like, God is love, God is love, God is love, God is love. No, no, we have to do what they do in heaven. God is holy, God is holy, God is holy. That's what we ought to cry. That's what we ought to pray. That's what we ought to declare. And that's what we ought to pray happens on earth. How does it happen on earth? It starts in my heart. And then I'm going to teach those closest to me, my family, that we need to pray that God's name, God's name be hallowed right here among us. You know, the Jews really had a, um, they were really strong on this. That's why they don't like to use the name God. They don't like to say it because they don't want to use his name in vain. But we, on the other hand, we just, oh my God, all day long. <laughs> we don't revere his name. We don't honor his name. Because his name represents him. So we have this example in Isaiah 6 verse 3. It says, And one called to another and said, These are the angels. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And they, and they would respond, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy, holy, holy is... So these angels we're crying to one another about God's holiness. And we too 
on earth, therefore, need to do the same. Another example of this exact same prayer prayed in heaven is found in Revelation 4 verse 8. It says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, talking about angels, six wings are full of eyes all around within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So what does this look like for the world to honor God, to see Him and reverence Him? Because that's what we're praying. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name be honored. Your name be respected. How many of you would agree with me? God's name is no longer respected in the earth. People don't respect him. As a matter of fact, he's too often becoming the, the joke in every conversation, on TV, and so forth. So what does it look like for the world to honor God? Well, we see in Scripture how somebody is honored because of what somebody else does. Watch this. This is really cool. But somebody can be honored because of what somebody else has done. For instance, in Luke 7.35, we see, it says, But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Wisdom is proved right by all her children. So, everybody looks at the children and go like, that's a wise, that's a wise dad, wise, wise mom. Man, you guys, you guys are awesome. Look at the children you raised. Wisdom is proved right by her children, what she produces. If the children were wild, nobody would see that and go like, man, great job, you guys. <laughs> right? Another example of the same, where you see somebody being honored because of what somebody else has done, is with the Proverbs 31 woman. She's so impressive. In Proverbs 31 verse 23, this woman is so impressive. The Bible says, that they, that they saw her husband sitting at the city gates and they praised him. And they got like, man, we saw your wife and we just had to, we just had to give you a big round of applause. <laughs> Again, we see that somebody's honored because of what somebody else has done. This is a very key understanding to have in order to pray the Lord's Prayer. You see, when people see your life do they go, man, God's amazing. Does the world honor God because of how you live? Or do they make fun of God because of these Christians? Does the world honor God because of your work ethic? Or do we have to hear again like, no, I don't, I don't employ Christians. They want to get away with everything. They want, a, they want a free handout for everything. Or do they go like, man, I need, I need to employ, you should see these Christians, how they work. Is God honored because of your work ethic? Do people connect the dots between God and the reason your children are so well raised? Is God honored by others because of how healthy your marriage is? 
Is God honored because of how you are living an example of his sanctifying work? Like, man, you know what? I, I knew this guy before he started going to church. I knew this guy before he came to the Lord. He was wild. And I, can't, I don't even recognize him anymore. He, he's changed. He's not even the same person, not almost. And what are they going to do? They're going to have to say, well, hey, whatever God did, God did something great. You know. The sad truth is that the church in this postmodern age has acted in certain shameful ways that has done exactly the opposite because of all the financial abuses, sexual abuses, the shallowness of doctrine, the shallowness of faith. God's name is unfortunately being blasphemed by the world because of it. In other words, when we pray, our Father, hallowed be your name, your name be revered, your name be honored in this world, we are praying to see God honored because of his bride on this earth. God's name is not hallowed. Instead, he's been mocked and treated with disdain. His name is not honored when in fact the church is filled with just failed marriages and rebellious children and a lot of crook gathering together and uh, you know false prophecies all over the place. You know, the world's laughing at that. The world's making fun of all the crazy we see in churches today. That is not how God's name is being honored. On the contrary, that's how he's being mocked. So God has instructed us to pray for his name to be honored throughout the earth. And that process starts with me individually. It starts with me being the person that people would love to employ. It starts with me where people want to learn how to have a healthy marriage, how to raise children. They want to learn from me how to live a life free of the anxiety of the unknown. They have to learn from me, and then I have to raise up my family in the same, because we are a microcosm of what God is doing. And then this church, because this church is made up out of individuals and families, after I've prayed that God's name be honored and revered because of my life, then I, of course, pray for those around me. God, your name be honored, not just in me, but in my wife, in our marriage, in my children, in my home, in my relationships, in my church, family. So this is how we pray the first opening portion of the Lord's Prayer. We pray something like this, Our Father in heaven, I pray your name is honored in my family because of your sanctifying work. I pray that that happen, Lord. I pray that your name is honored and revered in the earth because of your sanctifying work in my wife and in my children. Lord, I pray for, your, for our church leaders that the world will honor your name because they know these men. And I pray, Father God, for our whole entire church that the world is honored or that you are honored in this world because people know about this church. They know about this congregation and they know the love that we have for one another. They know the commitments that we have for God. They know the fact that we don't compromise even when culture turns up the heat. We don't compromise. We don't close our doors. We don't suddenly uh, play 
um, toward the world's demands. Lord, I pray that we would be the salt, that we would be light in this world, that we'd be that city on a hill that cannot be hidden. I, I pray, Lord, that we be that sweet aroma to those who are being saved. We will be the reflection of your glory in the earth. Lord, I pray that your glory fill the earth just like the waters fill the sea. That across this whole world, Father, people would honor your name, both saved and unsaved. Not just in our homes and our churches, but also in our culture, in our schools. In Washington, D.C., God's name ought to be honored. God's name ought to be revered. I pray that you honored God here on earth just as you are in heaven. Lord, you instructed me to pray this because I believe prayer was your chosen means through which you are going to accomplish this. Thank you for using me as an instrument in this eternal work. Amen. I want to say this one thing in close. Remember now, this is not a work of the flesh. This is us praying that God's name be honored by sanctifying us. It's a sanctifying work. It's God's work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that will clean his church. She will have no spot, no wrinkle, and Jesus will receive her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, for your word. I pray, Father God, that we will humble ourselves to your word and we will put effort toward grasping what it is you are calling us to. And Lord, we will pray, whether it is the daily repentance or daily adoration, daily thanksgiving, daily consecration. Also, God, daily we pray, your name be honored in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hope you got something out of the word this morning.